Please have your Bibles open, first of all, chapter 29 of Job. We gathered in in Skye just over a week ago to bury a a well-loved aunt. And uh, as you do at such times, uh, we reflected on what she had meant to us. My Auntie Peggy was a, a bright and energetic and winsome personality. She had a bright Christian testimony uh, which seemed to grow brighter as she neared the end of her life. And what lent such force to her witness and what made her such an attractive advertisement for uh, Christianity was her practical uh, Christianity. Like many of the the great women of uh, the, the scriptures, Uh, She was one who was full of good deeds. Think of uh, women like Lydia and Dorcas and so on. And that was the great memory that we had of her. And made us reflect also on how our lives too should possess that Christ-like compassion that is not sullied by an off flavour of sanctimoniousness, but is spontaneous and self-forgetful. A good life. It's good to reflect on what constitutes a good life. And a good life, a Christian uh, who has lived a good life, always points us to Jesus. That's what we were reminded of at the funeral. And tonight's uh, sermon looks at Job's last words. Uh, He will have a few things, a few words to say uh, Uh, towards the end, but to all intents and purposes, uh, he's signing off at the end of chapter 31, and his words are a retrospective of his life. And with a great deal of self-awareness, Job reflects on how he has lived his life, and what has been and what is most precious to him in that life. And it's in the light of the knowledge of how he has lived, that his present suffering seems so inexplicable and, in fact, so unjust to him. We've rehearsed Job's situation often and we're familiar with what he has gone through. A man who uh, is both great and good has been shattered by one calamity after another. He has three friends who come to comfort him. A fourth will appear uh, in the next uh, section. The three friends turn out to be disastrous counsellors whose commitment to the idea that if someone is suffering, it must be the, the, the cause of, because of some uh, gross sin in their lives. And this commitment to that uh, idea leads them, in fact, to invent uh, sins, offences that Job uh, must have committed. And they call upon Job to uh, confess uh, these supposed sins and acknowledge that he's been uh, guilty of some unspeakable evil. And as each of the the counsellors speaks, it's like another boxer entering the ring to, to slug it out with Job, who of course is physically and emotionally and spiritually so fragile. And yet one after the other comes and 
hurls all of these dreadful accusations and, and insinuations against this man, Job, whose health is gone, whose skin is blackened, and whose life is seemingly ebbing away. All the time, uh, Job is there sitting upon this dunghill, scratching his flesh with a shard, uh, abandoned by his loved ones, and yet refusing to throw away his integrity and confess to sins of which he has no knowledge. And as Job comes now to conclude his defence, Job is reflecting on the life that he's lived and the blessing and respect he's enjoyed but which are no longer his. And we're going to assess Job's words at the end of the sermon, but uh, right now we bear in mind that Job is continually pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus, to the only truly righteous sufferer. And uh, with that in mind, with the, with the, the knowledge that Job is in some sense a, a Christ type, we can reflect upon what Job is saying here as an illustration, an inventory even, of the life that is good. A life lived well. Let's begin to work through then this, this inventory of a good life. And, and first of all, and, and most importantly, Job begins in chapter 29 reflecting upon his communion with God. Of all the things that he has lost, this is what pains Job the most. How I long, he says, for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me. Now, put like that, it's quite striking because uh, Job is speaking of a time when God has watched over him and yet his complaint most recently has been that, that God is watching over him, that God is scrutinizing him, that he's like some big brother intent uh, to uh, police every microscopic aspect of Job's life in order to accuse him and he's felt suffocated by God's uh, watchful gaze. Chapter 10, verse 14, if I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me. Chapter 13, verse 27, you put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. But there was a day, Job says, when I rejoiced in the fact that you watched over me. And although Job had never heard it because he presumably lived before it. Uh, he's living, uh, he was living uh, with the reality of the ironic blessing on his life. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord look at you and bestow peace on you. And that had been Job's portion. That's what Job looks back on wistfully as having lost out. God looking upon him and in doing so, giving him peace. God's presence had lit up his life. Job says, his lamp shone on my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. And again, uh, it's the ironic blessing again, the, the blessing that Aaron and the priests would put on the people. The Lord 
make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And this had been Job's portion. He knew not only the Lord looking upon him, watching over him, but the Lord's light bringing grace to him. Job had known God as his friend. This is his testimony. Uh, His relationship with God had not been a a formal thing, not been a a, a distant relationship, but had been personal and domestic. And, And he speaks about that in these very homely terms. God's intimate fellowship blessed my tent, it is literally. Here's the man who's living in the reality of Jesus' words. Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Job knew that that face-to-face communion with God, that domestic uh, intimacy with the living God. And it's vitally important that that we see that this is what uh, is prominent in in Job's thinking. This is the, the chief aspect of his life. And it's the, the, the loss of a felt awareness of God's presence that grieves him more than anything else. Job is never claiming that he's right with God because he's lived a good life. But rather, he was a man who was right with God. And therefore, from that relationship, that intimacy, flowed the good life that he will go on to recount. Job never claims to be sinless, but he's a man who's acquainted with sacrifice. We saw that at the beginning. And as we'll see in the last chapter tonight, he lived a life of continual repentance, of continual turning away from sin. And Job's reckoning of himself is confirmed by God's assessment, which of course is the only one that that matters. And at the beginning, God speaks of Job as my servant Job. So Job was a man who who knew the Lord in in a a real and in a saving way, uh, who knew what it was to have personal intimacy with God. Communion with God was what uh, he had enjoyed most. And the loss of that grieves him more than anything else. So Job begins with that. And then Job goes on to speak about uh, the blessings that he had enjoyed. And he he moves now to more material blessings. There's the blessing of prosperity and the blessing of public esteem. He had prospered. He had lived a life of happiness and prosperity. He had his children all around him. Great blessing for uh, a great man like Job. And then he speaks of his wealth uh, in this wonderful way, this, this wonderfully pictorial way. My path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. <laughs> it's that picture of superabundance. And, and Job was uh, one of the wealthiest men in the world. God had blessed him. Now, at one level, Job is pointing to this as evidence of God's approval because Job has no argument, in a sense, with his friends who are saying that, that God blesses those who, who seek to follow him. Uh, that's a recurring theme in the Old Testament. What he does uh, object to uh, is their insistence that there's always a direct relationship with uh, how we prosper in this world and how we're serving God. 
or a direct relationship between us suffering and us sinning. And Job is the outstanding example of the fact that they do not always correlate that, that our suffering has many, many different reasons. But he points to uh, this evidence of God's favor in his life with, with thankfulness. God was good to him. And he's an example of that rare person, the man that God can trust with wealth. Jesus, our Lord, has told us that there are very few. How hard it is for a rich man, the Lord warned, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Riches can so easily turn a person's head. Our possessions can possess us. They can become uh, idols. They can become the things on which we, we find our security. James warned the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Paul speaks of greed as idolatry in Colossians 3.5. Job, contrarywise, had acted as a faithful steward. God uh, found in Job someone who could be entrusted with great wealth, who would steward great wealth, who would use it responsibly. And we'll see how he did that. But he had been blessed not only with wealth, but with the respect of his, uh, his, uh, his fellows. The people around Job, they admired him. They looked upon him and honoured him. Verses 7 to 25 uh, of chapter 29 are describing the respect that was given to Job. Uh, when it speaks of the city gate, uh, the city gate uh, in old times was the place where the, the elders of the, the city went and they gathered together, they met together at the entrance to the city in order to adjudicate cases. People came to them and uh, they conferred together and they came to a legal uh, decision. Job was the senior and most honoured of those who gathered at the gate. Job did not need to push his way through the crowds as he went down to the city gate. The crowd hearted like the waters of the Red Sea in front of him, as people uh, moved away in respect and let Job proceed. All spoke well of him, and his counsel was decisive. Men listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their hearts. Verses 21-22. Such was Job, an honoured man, a senior figure. And it's a blessing to have someone like Job in places of responsibility. What a blessing it is to have someone who is honoured and respected and who speaks words which are true in Parliament, in the General Assembly. Someone uh, of weight and standard, a high standard whose words uh, carry uh, the opinions of the others with them. Job was honoured by those around him. And yet sadly, the reality is that uh, many ministers, amongst others, uh, hold such esteem uh, poorly. And they are made celebrities in the eyes of some. And uh, what happens is that they live a double life. Uh, they cannot... Uh, sustain uh, the, the respect and reverence of others in the way that Job did. 
Job was not ensnared by prosperity or popularity. And thirdly, Job's uh, religion was practical. The reason that people spoke well of Job was because Job's life uh, backed up his words. He was a man of, of integrity. Job was not held in esteem because uh, of his business connections. Job was not the, the one uh, whose funny handshake uh, led you into all kinds of, of opportunities. Job was valued and esteemed because of his compassion and his justice. His religion was practical. James, again, condenses uh, the, the religion that, that God approves as being one that's intensely practical. Practical towards uh, key uh, members of society who are vulnerable. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And Job was active in showing compassion to those very areas that uh, the Bible uh, picks out uh, as being people who are most vulnerable. His, his act of compassion is described beautifully in, in verse, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and turban. Not for Job, the luxury of affecting the aura of a spiritual person whilst he remained cloistered amongst the other religious people, the other uh, members of the, the frozen chosen, we sometimes say. We get the impression as we read Job's life of someone who was continually going out, who was actively engaged in the community around him. Job, for example, wasn't afraid of robustly challenging injustice. Again, how, how wonderfully it's, it's communicated. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Job wasn't afraid to take up unpopular causes. I took up the case of the stranger, verse 16. Now, Job can say this and... It rings true with us. This is, this is the, the kind of person uh, that we have come to know. This, this rings true. This is consistent with Job's character as we've come across him. This, this man who has given such a spirited defense of his life in the face of these unsympathetic comforters. This rings true. He's a stout-hearted man. There's no weasley-minded, uh, hyper-spiritual man looking for plaudits. Job is a big man in every sense. You've heard the story of, of the, the little child uh, who's overheard a prayer. And uh, her prayer was, God, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. Job was a man who was good and nice. You would have warmed to Job. 
In chapter 30, Job turns to reflect on what his life has become now by contrast to what it had been uh, when he knew friendship with God. Job has persevered in the face of great difficulty. He has endured the mockery of the dregs of society. He's felt abandoned by God and he's felt shorn of all hope. And yet, and this is the key thing in chapter 30. Chapter 30 is not just a a depressing uh, recounting of, oh, oh, poor me. What we take away from chapter 30 is here is a man who has suffered thus and yet he is hanging on in there. God is holding on to Job. Job is still believing, still hoping, despite all that has happened. He's persevering in faith. Job had known great dignity as he went about at his daily uh, life. Now, how things have changed. He's mocked by those he knows to be inferior to him in every way. And notably, they are men who are younger than he is. They are the sons of worthless men. Job says, I wouldn't entrust my very sheepdogs to them. These are men with no vigour, he says. In other words, had you hired them to work for you, they'd have been off on the sick the next day. Utterly unreliable. Now these are not the victims of society. These aren't people who are on the edge of society because they were abused or they lacked opportunity. These are people who never worked. These are people who scoffed at their opportunities in school and so on. These are the kind of people who became folks that we are familiar with, who uh, hang around uh, the stairwells of of flats and and, uh, get high on drugs or on black fast or alcohol of different kinds. And society had driven these people from their place. They, they had experienced the, the, the judicial uh, verdict of the people around them and had been driven away. And now, Job says, these very people mock me in song. I've, been a, come, I've become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit on my face. And again, Job is pushing us forward to Jesus. And as Job speaks about uh, these low lives mocking him, assuming an attitude of superiority to Job, we think of Jesus on the cross. We think of the, the two thieves who had been, by their own admission, properly condemned, mocking the Lord Jesus. Both of them mocked. One repented. Both mocked. We think of what Isaiah said of Jesus prophetically. I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Job's pointing us to the redemptive sufferings of Jesus. And He does so again when he speaks of feeling the opposition of God in his life. And if anything, this is the the thing which has disturbed Job uh, most greatly. 
during his sufferings. The feeling that, that God has turned against him. I cry out to you, Lord, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. And again, it's because Job had so highly prized the friendship of God that when God uh, seems to be against him, it pains him more than anything else. And it seems to him so inhumane. Surely no one, he says, lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. The dregs of society have mocked him. God seems against him. And thirdly, all his hopes seem dashed only the gloom seems to remain for him when I hoped for good evil came when I looked for light then came darkness and yet Job still believes Job has not cursed God and died. Job is wrestling with a problem that's only a problem because he believes in God and believes that God is good and is perplexed by the circumstances around him. And that's why we think here of the, the, the perseverance of Job, or, or as the King James used to have it, the patience of Job. As we speak of someone having the patience of Job, it's the perseverance of Job in the midst of all of this opposition. Uh, James again, uh, that's a point where James refers to Job, and it's interesting because he places him amongst the prophets as well as highlighting uh, this particular aspect of his life as being uh, most prominent. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here, for you and for me, is tremendous encouragement, isn't there? Because Job was enabled by God's grace to persevere through extraordinary circumstances. Can we not trust the Lord also to enable us to persevere through lesser trials? God will give strength to persevere. Chapter 31 uh, moves now to consider mainly uh, the inward aspects of the believer's life. Uh, Job is beginning to talk now about how he has kept watch over his heart. And so first on the list is purity and his self-awareness. His awareness that looking at a woman, not in, in the sense of admiring her beauty, but in a lustful manner, was a powerful uh, uh, sin, Temptation leading on into other sins. And so Job had taken decisive action to guard his heart. These well-known words, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Job has entered a solemn commitment with himself. 
in regard to his desires and his affections. He set his face against indulging in fantasy. He set his face against allowing desires to grow in his heart. Uh, Desires which, if they were left unrestrained, would lead to adultery or sexual immorality. Remember when, when Jesus spoke about adultery? Jesus warned us that, that this is where it begins. He who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's the Sermon on the Mount. Before the Sermon on the Mount, Job looking at the, the first risings of adultery in the lustful look. That's a commitment to uh, all of uh, uh, a challenge rather to all of us to commit in the same way because uh, if Job had to uh, reckon on this temptation, how much more must we in, in a culture which is saturated with, with sexual imagery? What we gaze at inappropriately can lead to our downfall. Therefore, vigilance and rigor are required. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a a girl uh, lustfully. Deceit. Job has sought to guard against deceit. Again, an attitude of the heart. It has to do with the desire to be an open book. It's being allergic to playing a part, hiding behind a mask. And it means that we have to watch over our hearts. Am I being real? Or am I hiding behind a mask. And Job said, if God were to weigh me, I would not be found wanting. Scriptures speak about God weighing people, having people in the balance. Belshazzar was weighed in the balance and was found lightsome. Job was not lightsome. He was a man of integrity. Adultery. Job refers to adultery. This is the act proceeding from the lustful look. And adultery, again, typically done in the shadows, camouflaged with deceit and hypocrisy. Job has been careful to keep his heart straight. He knows how terrible a sin adultery is. Verse 12, chapter uh, 31. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. Now, Job could have used the magnetism of uh, his personality. Here is a a man who's admired for his spirituality. He's a religious leader. Uh, Here is a man who is wealthy and powerful. He could have used his wealth and his influence and his, his aura to be the Harvey Weinstein of his day. But he didn't. There were no... Me too, victims lining up to accuse Job of improper conduct. He had watched his path. He had kept his heart. He had shown justice to his servants. Uh, Job, as a, as a wealthy, powerful man, uh, was aware of the temptation uh, uh, that there was to, to, to brush aside the legitimate grievances of his servants. Even in our so-called enlightened age uh, men of power regard those who work for them almost uh, like pawns that can be used, that can be swept aside at a whim and Job recognised the God given dignity 
of every human being goes right back to the fundamentals. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Are we not made in God's image? Generosity to the needy. Verses 16 to 20, he reflects on his obligation to use his money with generosity. Uh, It's a fact of life that uh, the wealthiest people are very often the least generous, proportionately. Job sought to aid the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the needy who lacked warm clothing. In other words, here's a man who's active in seeking out people who need help. He didn't shut out those who were less well-off than himself. Next is the the crime of exploiting uh, the defenceless. He could have done it. may not have been noticed. He considers the subtle temptation that he would have had at the city gate when he was engaged in making decisions. If I have raised my hand, if I had uh, given my vote in a certain direction against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, there's a self-awareness there. Here is a man who is accustomed to reflecting on his life and his actions. Making a god of his wealth. Surely for Job, here was one of the most powerful temptations to make an idol of his possessions. Comes about so subtly. Uh, Comes about when we, we make what we own our security, our confidence, our source of joy. But... Job had not allowed his possessions to to act in those ways. Uh, If I put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I had rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, then these would be sins to be judged. The next one shows just how, again, how self-aware Job is. He speaks about vindictiveness. There's that German word, schadenfreude, where um, you rejoice when, when somebody who has it in for you gets their comeuppance, you know, and uh, you have this kind of secret satisfaction that they've come a cropper. And Job is aware that that would have been a subtle sin. He could so easily have been glad when people who had been a pain to him came across some misfortune, but he had sought to guard himself against that. Hospitality. He'd practice hospitality again in, uh, in the way that Jesus commended, not just to friends who could re- uh, return uh, the, the kindness, but to the stranger who had no room for the night. Job's door was always open. We could do worse, couldn't we, uh, than use Job's inventory for ourselves? Would thus, this not be? a very practical way of, of examining our own hearts. This, this would be a very functional checklist. This is no superficial, formal uh, uh, accounting of, of one's life. It goes to the very root of things. Not least in the last aspect which Job uh, speaks about, which is his willingness to acknowledge sin. Many people uh, who strive to live a good life make those efforts, the basis 
of their acceptance with God. And when we're reluctant to confess our sin, that is a dangerous sign because if you're reluctant to acknowledge sin, it could suggest that you are making your own efforts to live the good life, the basis of your acceptance before God. And therefore, it would undermine that acceptance for you to acknowledge sin. You're not resting upon the righteousness of Christ, but your own righteousness. But Job made no pretense of being perfect. If I have concealed my sin as men do by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside. Job considering the peril of pretending to be someone who is so intent on maintaining that, that uh, impression of being the perfect individual that when they knew something was wrong they stayed indoors lest they be found out. Job hadn't lived like that. Uh, like David in David's later years after his sin with Bathsheba, Job too lived a life of open confession to God and where it was appropriate, confession to other people. He never claims to be sinless. He does claim to be consistently and continually penitent. These are beautiful chapters. This is a beautiful description of a good life. What do we make of Job's claims? How, how, do we, how do we assess them? We have to assess it in the light of what God will say later. God will rebuke Job. Perhaps Job has spoken too much. If we were to ask Job later, he might reflect with a little bit of embarrassment. Did I really say all that? You know, there's a time for, for quiet submission under the hand of the Lord. He has asserted his righteousness very vigorously. But these are the words of a genuinely righteous man. Not a legalist. These are the words of someone who walked with God. Who was reckoned righteous by grace. And Job, more than many others in the scriptures foreshadows the one Jesus Christ, the, the righteous sufferer, the perfectly righteous man who could, without any embarrassment, say, which of you accuses me of sin? And because Job pushes us towards Jesus, he leaves us with such a wonderful example to follow. This was a good life. May God bless to us his word. Amen.